Genesis chapter 49, we began the prophecy of Jacob last Lord's Day, and we'll continue here in verse 8. Genesis 49, our text will be, the Lord willing, from verses 8 through 12. I had hoped, I thought, you know, a preacher in his planning thinks he'll do a certain thing, and I thought I would finish the whole chapter, uh, the rest of the chapter today. Not going to happen, all right? And so we, we want to deal with each uh, prophecy in each tribe as they should be dealt with, and it, they're just weighted with, with meaning and, and, and so much that is yet to come. So we come now to verse 8 of Genesis 49. He's already addressed Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, and the air is tense as the great unveiling, as we studied there in 1 Corinthians 3 at the judgment seat, the unveiling of these men's character and their descendants and what the Lord will do through each of them is an humbling thing and an encouraging thing because we see in these verses before us this morning that Messiah, our Savior, is promised. No matter how dark the clouds are, Jesus is coming again. Did you know that? He said, I leave that I will go and prepare a place for you, but I will come again. What a promise. And so we find in verse 8, we love the prophecies. Every Old Testament Reference to our Lord's coming. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of his people, binding his foal into the vine and his ass's coat into the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, his teeth white with milk. What a prophecy. Let us pray. Now, Lord, this is your word. And as we have faithfully, week by week, beginning in chapter 1, we've come to chapter 49, verse 8, and we know by your direction this is what you have for us today. And we rejoice in that. May we feed well upon the word this morning. Help me to be a a faithful teacher and an accurate preacher. Holy Spirit, would you not guide every word? And would you not guide every listening ear? Oh, what a great responsibility it is to hear. Our Lord, you said, he that hath ears, let him hear. And so I pray that each of us would lay aside the the thoughts that would intrude, the cares of this world that so often choke out the good seed. May we have fertile hearts this morning, Lord, each of us, those who've known you for long years and those who may be babes in Christ, and then those, Lord, who are outside of Christ. Oh, there is always something for each one who comes when your word is preached. And you have said, I will do all that I've appointed my word to do. And we see it week by week, Lord. We thank you for the fruit that we see coming from these messages. Lord, it is your word. And if you do not bless it, it will go unblessed. And so we ask you to do what you said you would do. Lord, you said if we ask anything in your will that you hear us and we have our request. And so 
We cannot help but believe, Lord, it is your will to bless your word today and to accomplish eternal things through the living, eternal word of God. And so we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. We began last Lord's Day, Jacob's prophecy to his sons, as he calls them to his bedside, and begins his solemn revealing and his evaluation of each of them. They know this is no ordinary deathbed blessing, if there could be such a thing as an ordinary deathbed blessing. But his tone, his wording, the manner in which he delivers his prophecy is clearly of the Lord, and they know it. This is not just Daddy speaking. This is Israel. Prince with God. These sons are the future tribes of Israel. God has sovereignly ordained that they become a great nation. He told Abraham when he found him a pagan in Ur who didn't know his right hand from his left hand about the creator God of Israel. And God graciously, sovereignly revealed himself to Abraham and, and gave him these great and glorious promises. And a channel through which the Messiah and Savior would come to earth, going all the way back to the, the covenant with Abraham. They, they should be taking notes to correct their faults that he reveals to them and heed his warning as from the Lord. And, and then also to comfort themselves with God's glorious, inalterable promises. And, and may I remind us that when we hear the word, we should always do those things. We should take notes about what the Spirit is speaking to us about. Whenever the word is preached, as I've already mentioned and prayed, it will, it will be sufficient to do all that is needed in our lives. It is alive, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces and divides asunder the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And while I don't know your hearts and cannot read your thoughts and have no desire to, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God and, and can and does. And I have great confidence that when I preach that He takes God's Word and does just that. And so I remind us when we come, this should be our response every time we hear the Word of the Lord. What are you saying to me? Help me to correct my sins, and Lord, help me to comfort myself in these, these truths, these everlasting truths that you're revealing to us. Lord, what will thou have me to do is always the proper response to his word. For one thing, this is a time of revelation, and while we, we stay away from or maybe not like tests and revealing things, I, you know, our annual physicals, the blood work, I always sit there and just shiver, you know, and, and think, okay, what's it going to tell me this year about my cholesterol or whatever it is that, that I've been diligently working on, supposedly, and uh, Pastor, are you exercising? And all those questions that I'm going to be asked, I don't know, I feel like a little third grade kid when I'm sitting there. There are other times that, you know, we just, we, we, the revelation, the, the, the thing that may be shown us, other times of testing and revelation. Three of his sons learned that the decisions and actions on their part cost them their, their future inheritance. I read, we read from 1 Corinthians about every man's work shall be tried and, and, and blessing or, or reward will be given accordingly. And these first three boys have just heard that 
what they thought was going to come to pass is not going to. Part of the eternal law of the Spirit is that God is not mocked. Can you imagine even attempting to mock God? But, but God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's just as eternal as the law of gravity. The law of gravity is not eternal. It will be withheld at some point, And new laws will be set in in a new heaven and a new earth that we know not of. But that law, the law of sowing and reaping, will have repercussions throughout the eons. They all learn of their future place in the promised land, where they will be, what they will have, and the blessings of the children of Israel of being the chosen people of God. We see our Savior revealed in verse 10 as Shiloh, or salvation. Yeshua, Jehovah saves in verse 18, is the mighty one, the shepherd and the stone in verse 24, and the almighty in verse 25. All these pictures and our descriptions and snapshots of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In birth order, Jacob addresses his sons, starting with the six sons of Leah and ending with Rachel's two, Joseph and Benjamin. Reuben, who should have been Jacob's pride and joy, the leader and the shepherd of his brothers and the rest of the family as the firstborn was denounced as being unstable as water. Could there be anything more uncomplimentary, anything that he could have said, you're as weak as water. And he learns that because of unrepentant sin, he nor, he nor his descendants would ever provide, since he did not provide the leadership that he should have, that his that they would never rise to the occasion to provide the spiritual leadership in the nation. From the tribe of Reuben, there's never a leader, never a judge. In fact, as we saw last week, they even failed to come to the call of arms at times of need. The Reubenites never rose to leadership in Israel and always, like water, followed the path of least resistance. I've talked with many of you this last week and we all agree that God's word is so powerful, isn't it? And shows us our need and we praise God for what the word of God is doing in our midst. And, and we praise him that the, the needed leadership in this church will certainly be provided as we obey and repent and uh, submit to God's word. Simeon and Levi, who seem to be the two closest and were always confederate in their sins and in their actions, would forever bear the responsibility for their cruel slaughter of the men of Shechem. Though they felt justified in taking matters into their own hands to avenge the, the shame of their sister and requiting their sister's shame, God did not approve of their actions and did not ordain how they handled the matter. And because of their cruelty, and the heartlessness and how they dealt with the men. We've already studied that. You can go back and, and read that. Jacob speaks for the Lord by saying, I will divide them. They've been confederate. They have done these things together, but I will divide them in Jacob, in, in the promised land. They will be divided and scatter them in Israel. It's interesting how he puts that. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon was given an inheritance within the tribe of Judah. And some of the descendants of, of Simeon were captured and lived in the territories of the Edomites and the Amalekites outside of Canaan. Eventually, they're either assimilated into Judah or scattered outside of Israel altogether. 
the tribe will be decimated or assimilated in that way without distinction. The Levites would not have a specific land of their own, but they would live in the priestly cities scattered throughout Israel among the other tribes. And the, the Lord would use the Levites in the, the, the ministry of the tabernacle and later the temple. Next he comes to Judah. And we've read the, the portion here. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. We know from the record that, that had some things in his past, that Judah had things in his past that he must have hoped would not be brought up here. I'm sure if you were in that tent you would, or that room, you would see the sweat popping out on Judah's forehead and the perspiration dripping down because if the other three brothers, have, their sins have been reminded of them and things that they thought were long past and forgotten and all, evidently didn't matter anymore, Judah certainly had some things to squirm about in his past as Reuben's unconfessed sin was dealt with here. But that's just the point. There was the matter with Onan and Ur, and then there was the sordid matter with Tamar in chapter 38, and we just allude those things, and you can go back again and read those. We've already dealt with them. And so Judah is trembling in his sandals. Why were these things not mentioned? Why did uh, Jacob or Israel mention Reuben and Simeon and, and Levi's sins? But he did not bring up Judah's, which were equally sinful. Obviously, they had been truly repented of and dealt with before the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that glorious verse 1 of Romans chapter 8 that we want to sing with glee when, in rejoicing when we read it, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Judah had confessed his sin and made things right, obviously. It was not brought up at the judgment seat. It was not laid bare and made manifest as the unrepentant sins of his brothers were. Oh, child of God, take heart. We are in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And our record is Christ's own righteous record this morning. Can you say praise the Lord? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Judah had saved Joseph's life, remember? And the others, when the others planned to kill him, and he offered himself as surety for Benjamin. There had been a, a total change in, in Judah's life. When, when Jacob and the family finally moved to Egypt, it is Judah who goes ahead and makes things ready in chapter 46. He assumes this leadership pastoral role for the family. All this indicates that Judah had truly repented and and made things right with his father and his family. And, and that is obviously the difference between Judah and the first three sons. His name means praise. And he lives up to his name. And his father praises him here. He, all he has for Judah is praise. Although we know the record. But in Christ that record is 
is taken away. Isn't that glorious? Absolutely glorious. Jacob says of Judah, you are he whom your brethren shall praise. Your hand will be in the neck of your enemies and your father's children will bow before you. Judah had repented and become a, a godly man. He would become the leader of the other tribes and defeat their enemies. And through him, Israel's kings would come. Hence the symbol here, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the king of the beast, is used as a picture to describe Judah's descendants. As Joseph would receive the, the firstborn's inheritance of the double portion, so Judah would receive the position of the patriarchal dominion and leadership and the responsibility of the firstborn. God will reward as he sees fits. Do you see the, the sovereignty and the justice and the holiness and the mercy of God through all of this? There is forgiveness with thee. There is blessing with the Lord. Oh, we, we praise him for his goodness to us and his mercy, though undeserved. And as David later prays there in Psalm 51, have mercy on me. We need mercy, don't we? And God lavishes mercy on repentant hearts. There is forgiveness with thee. Judah's land would become fruitful and productive, and you see what vivid descriptions here. It's been said that the vines were so, so uh, uh, strong that you could tether animals to the vines and they wouldn't pull away. That's how fruitful Judah's territory will one day be. Even the donkeys tied to them, stubborn donkeys couldn't uproot the vine that they'd be tied to. There was no way for Jacob to know of Judah's future leadership. Do you see how prophetic this is? He had no way of knowing this because this didn't become true until 640 years later when David, the shepherd, came to the throne. Oh, how perfect is God's word. It is perfect because everything the word prophesies always comes true exactly as it's prophesied. Early leadership came from Moses. Uh, or from, and Moses was from the tribe of Levi. And Joshua was from Ephraim. Gideon was from Manasseh. Samson was from Dan. And Samuel from Ephraim. And Saul from Benjamin. But after 640 years, the shepherd boy comes to the throne from Judah's line. And from David's reign on, the tribe of Judah would be dominant in Israel's leadership. But the most important part of Jacob's prophecy of Judah's descendants is in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, admittedly, this verse is unusual and there's some difference of opinion as to his interpretation. I hope and trust you'll have the proper interpretation before you leave here this morning. The scepter is mentioned for the first time here in scripture so always note the law of first mention. This is the first time that's given and is a symbol of the, the rulership and authority. Lawgiver here in, in Hebrew means the one who decrees. This lawgiver and ruler would come from between his feet or would be a descendant of the tribe of Judah. Shiloh was the name given later on to a, an insignificant town that was later built near Bethel. 
The only thing really significant about Shiloh is that during the time of the judges, the the tabernacle was set up there for a while, but it never was a, a really important place. The Philistines will later destroy it, and that's Shiloh. So surely Jacob is not referring to a literal place, a little town on a map where the tabernacle was erected for a while, and that's about it. We know that Jacob's prophecy then is not referring to a literal place of Shiloh. The context indicates that Shiloh is not a place at all, but a person. The title of one of extreme prominence and power. It is unto him that peoples shall gather. The the form of the word is linked to the word for peace and Some say the word shalom comes from the word Shiloh. And so we can rightfully say here, the one who brings peace is certainly referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will mention that all the ancient rabbis and writers, as well as the early church fathers, took it as a prophecy for Messiah, the Prince of Peace that Isaiah describes. Others point out, as it it suggested in the Septuagint, that the word is a derivation from, it means whose it is, literally that phrase, whose it is, corresponding to Ezekiel 21, verse 27, until he come whose right it is. Any way you look at it, this is referring to Messiah, who will be king of kings and lord of lords, who will have the right, who will have the scepter, and at his feet every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is lord to the glory of the Father. The promised seed was first given in the Garden of Eden. Just after man had fallen, taking of the forbidden fruit and forever plunging the human race into despair and sin and death, all that wounds and causes tears to the eyes was brought about by our disobedience. And I say our because we were in Adam and we sinned when Adam sinned. Immediately, so graciously, the Lord gives the very first promise of the gospel there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Down through the ages, men have looked for the coming of the Savior. It was said that all the Jewish women wondered if they would have the Messiah. And so Jacob would certainly have been looking for the Messiah. It was part of the the promise that God had made and reiterated to Abraham, Isaac, and then to Jacob. When the promised seed would come, whenever Messiah comes, he would certainly bring peace and rest. Now, some would look around and say, well, if that's referring to Messiah, Messiah, and Jesus has come, where is the peace and the rest? It first comes to the soul. There is a rest for the people of God. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, the songwriter says. And no one is at rest who has not found rest in their souls in the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you who are outside of Christ are laboring to establish your own righteousness, your own way. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to make a place for your name. Some of you are leaning on your own righteousness or your works. And there's no rest. No rest at all. Your soul is not at rest. You are laboring under the weight of your sin. And our Lord says, Come unto me all ye that labor 
and are heavy laden. What does he tell us he will do? I will give you rest. Peace. When he arose, he came to his disciples. And over and over again, every time he met them, he'd say, Peace, peace, be still, peace. Only the Lord can bring peace. It is the birthright of those who are rightly related to the Lord through the new birth. It is the work of fruit of the Holy Spirit in a regenerate heart. And so I will tell you, yes, there is peace on earth in the hearts of all those who have surrendered to the Messiahship and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All who have said, Lord, you rule over me. I am yours. I submit myself to you. You know what I'm talking about. You know there's a peace that passes understanding that the world never gave you and it cannot take away. You could be fired tomorrow. You could get the worst a message from your doctor tomorrow and it cannot take away the peace that passes understanding. For me to live is what? Christ. And to die is what? Gain. Absolute gain. We lose nothing in Christ. Oh yes, He brings peace. One of the first things I noticed as a 15-year-old boy, when I, when I heard the gospel, and as I looked in these teenagers' face this week, I saw myself there. You know, 15-year-old boy struggling to be tough and to find your place, not knowing what you are, who you are, what a man he is, and all those things. And my, my father had just died, and I was just devastating, devastated. And the evangelist preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I tell you this morning, I didn't know all the specifics that took place. I didn't know the Holy Spirit came and dwelt my body at that moment. I didn't know that he was the down payment, the earnest for the future possession of glorification, a new body. I didn't know that I was secure in Christ until I drew my last breath. I didn't know a million things, but I know this. And no one could argue with it. I went the rest of that day as if I was walking on air. And I wouldn't suggest to anyone you base anything on emotions. I'm just telling you. I was at peace. Peace. It was settled. I had a place. I was in Christ. And I was His. And whatever that, all that meant... I didn't fully understand, but I remember saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I just give up. Thank you. Thank you. I just kept thanking the Lord for, for all of that. Now, has that peace always been realized by Chris Lamb? No, there have been times when I've willfully done it my own way and taken things in my own hands and sinned high-handedly against the Lord. And guess what? What was the first thing that goes out the door? Peace. The first thing that comes, I don't know how theological this is, but I'm just telling you by experience, the first thing that came in that I recognized of the new birth was a, was a peace that passes, couldn't figure it out, couldn't explain it. And the first thing that leaves when I sin is that peace that I so desperately need to make it in this horrible, frowning, cruel world. Oh, he is peace, isn't he? Yes, he has come. Yes, Messiah is peace. Years later, the prophet Isaiah will prophesy, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
His name shall be called Wonderful. Is he not wonderful, church? Words can't describe him. Counselor. Oh, how his word leads us in steps of righteousness. How many times has he kept you from blowing it? From messing your life up? His word kept you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, thank you for the counsel of the Lord. When people come to me for counsel, I always warn them, all I know to tell you is what God has said. So don't come to me if you don't want me to tell you what the Word of God says. I heard Al Mohler say it. When people come to him, he says, what is your problem? What does the Bible say? Why are we here? (laughs) That takes care of it all, doesn't it? His counsel, if we submit to it. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He's powerful enough to do all he said he would do and is doing. And the everlasting father, the prince, the ruler of peace. The one thing this world desires, and there's a trillion things they're seeking after, but cannot manufacture is this peace that the prince of peace will bring. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. This is yet to come. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. That's what lies in store for us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Not only does Isaiah give us the prophecy, he tells us how it's going to be brought to pass. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Think of God's zeal. And all the heavenly hosts will back him up and bring it it to pass. The phrase here in Jacob's prophecy, the gathering of his people. You see that there in verse 10. The gathering of his people. Clearly corresponds to God's messianic promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through their coming seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I was talking with one of our men here this week at, at, at lunch, and he was saying, as a little boy, he invited his father, Bob Carver was telling me, to a, a father-son banquet. His father wasn't in church, and he kept asking his daddy to go to this father-son banquet. And his father said, no, 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 I'm not going. And finally surrendered, and it, he went, and he heard the gospel. And he, he let me read a thing his father had written out that he was sent, sending to a brother. But Bob was saying that that's changed the course of that whole family and other families. You see how the Lord blesses families through just one coming to faith in Christ. You may be the only one in your family that knows him. You may have loved ones outside. I want to encourage you, those who have loved ones. I prayed for a brother for 30 years. God is gracious. He is faithful. The gospel is the only answer that can bless families. The gathering of the peoples. Shall all the families of earth be blessed? Revelation 5 verse 5 corroborates all of this. Identifying the Lord Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The prophet Micah refers to this prophecy when after telling us clearly exactly where Jesus would be born. When they come and the wise men come and they gather the 
the scribes and the Pharisees, oh, they, they knew exactly where he'd be born. It didn't take them at all. They didn't have to look it up or, they, oh, he'll be born in, in, in Bethlehem. And the wise men leave. Why didn't that whole entourage follow them to Bethlehem? These men who'd come from thousands and hundreds of miles and, 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 and turned around when they heard where they went. But not only does Micah tell us that he'll be born in Bethlehem, that he would be great unto the ends of the earth, and that this man shall be the peace. Not just peace, but the peace. We know, of course, that this prophecy did come to pass. Messiah was born in Bethlehem. And after David rose to the throne, the leadership or the scepter the, the leadership of the nation never departed from Judah until after Christ came. The kingdom was divided. And later on, all the tribes were taken into captivity. But as far as Israel was concerned, Judah was always the predominant tribe. Did you know that? Even in captivity. Even during the time that, that they were in Babylonian captivity, Daniel, are you following me? who is of the tribe of Judah, rose to the third in world power in a foreign land. The third ruler, even in Babylon, Judah was in authority. Oh, how powerful God's word is. And we can take heart. When God has spoken something, you can take it to the bank. No, don't take it to the bank. It may not be safe there, we often say. You can take this to the bank. You can take this to heart. Let God be true and every man a liar. Aren't we resting on the promises of God? Our souls are resting on come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. You didn't take my word for that. I didn't take that evangelist word for that when I rested in him as a 15 year old boy. It was God's word. And I found him true and I've trusted him. Oh for grace to trust him more. Henry Morris writes that after the captivity, those who returned were primarily from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Along with many Levites, as the other ten tribes had been scattered by the Assyrians. And although many from the ten tribes did manage to return to the land, Judah was essentially from, uh, from then on synonymous with Israel as a whole. This condition continued, of course, into the actual coming and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Soon after Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews, a name that comes, by the way, from Judah, the word Jew is a derivation of Judah, were dispersed into all the nations. Since then, even the genealogies have been lost so that the tribal distinctions have all been fused and blurred among the Jews as a whole. This did not happen, however. That is, the scepter did not pass from Judah until Shiloh came. Just as Jacob predicted. This fact incidentally confirms that the Messiah did come. And that he must have come sometime before 70 AD. Since that scepter passed from Judah about that time. See how accurate God's word is. John Phillips writes, as Jacob looked at Judah, all he could see was Jesus. All Judah's faults and failings were blotted out in that glorious vision of Christ. That is what will count at the judgment seat. 
Nothing else will matter. Not your degrees, not your successes, and certainly not your sins. There is peace in Christ. There is mercy and grace and salvation. And we're looking to a day, some future day, at that great revelation when He is revealed. And we are revealed before Him. Oh, be not as Reuben who was shocked, wasn't he? That his sin was brought back up. Simeon and Levi, their cruelty, but, but not so Judah. His sins were hidden in Christ. Are your sins there? Christ has made provision through his sinless life and his death in our place. For all sin. Praise the Lord. It's been nailed to him there. And he has dealt with it. If we will come to Christ on his terms. In repentance and faith. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh I want to be as Judah. And stand there. No sin brought up. All, all of us are guilty. Judah was just as guilty as Reuben. And Simeon and Levi. But the difference was. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning. Oh, Lord, we bow before you in humility. We, we tremble at your word. We marvel at your grace. Grace so amazing, so rich and free. So, Lord, we come just now at this at this time, and we ask again that you bless your word as you've promised to do. I pray that those outside of Christ would run to him just now in their hearts and their minds that they'd go to Christ just now and pour out their hearts before you. Tell him you need a Savior. Tell him your need of salvation. He is the Savior. He will save you from sin. He, he beckons you with nail-pierced hands to come unto me, all you that labor, and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I can't give that rest to you. But it can be found in Christ. In Christ alone. He's the rock on which we're standing. He, we've built our faith. Upon him. Would you go to Christ just now. For those of you who are struggling. I pray that you'd go to Jesus as well. And tell him of your struggle and your need. Ask for his grace. Ask for his provision. Oh, ask for that peace that passes understanding. Ask the Spirit of God to show you whatever may be standing between you and that perfect peace. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems or not going to be disturbed, but oh, the peace of God that comes from a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we submit to you today and ask you to bless your word. We know it will be unbounded and endure throughout the endless ages. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.